Welcome to my podcast, Explain to Me, where I get very intelligent people to explain things to me in the simplest way possible. On this episode, we talk about carcinization. Uh, you can just call me Julia or Jules or whatever. Yeah, I don't really have a title. I mean, I have like I'm a student full time and I'm I have a Bachelor of Science in Evolutionary Biology from ages ago but I'm currently at the U of A again, or I'm a student again studying animal science and focusing on animal health because I'm applying to be a veterinarian. And from there, I'm sure it will take me into more um, science-y, research-y areas because I'm just uh, learning so much and I'm like, oh, I don't, maybe I don't want to just be a clinic vet. Maybe I want to also research diseases and wildlife populations and uh, cancers and dogs and cats and that's so interesting. Yeah. Okay, so what topic are we talking about today? Oh, Stephen, we are talking about carcinization. And what is that? <laughs> and that I... is, yeah. It, first of all, I love memes. I'm a meme aficionado. And this is just something that popped up on Reddit a couple of times. Or once, I think I just saw an article just from the science stuff that I look at and then um, my husband pointed out this Reddit uh, thread about how everything in nature evolves into a crap. Yeah, like so, the like the kind people eat at fancy restaurants and hand. Zoidberg on here, yeah, <laughs> old, old Zoidy, um, kind of. And so yeah, like I say, kind of because upon my research of this. Um, because I'm not a crab scientist by any means, but I do, I love evolution, love talking about it, that even the kind of crabs that we eat and we think are crabs aren't necessarily true crabs. And true crabs are essentially this one taxon called Brachyura, and they're characterized by having like a short projecting tail, which is just like that. I don't know, I don't eat um, animals, so I don't, I'm not familiar with the parts that you might be familiar with by breaking them down but there's like that little divot kind of on their butt end. So, okay. You know? <laughs> a little uh, pointy thing. Uh, I like that, a, the butt divot. I like that, butt divot. But, butt divot. It's like the science term for butt crack. But <laughs> <laughs> that is totally staying in. Great. Love it. Butt, butt crack. Quote me. Okay. Hi, well. GG. Um, yeah. Uh, and they have the thick exoskeleton, which is, yeah, usually what you what you crunch through, not with your teeth, <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, and that's made of um, a mineralized substance, I guess, called chitin, which is a really interesting structural substance because it's found in the cell walls of fungi. It's not found in um, fish scales, the skin of like amphibians, like smooth frogs, salamanders, and in the same kind of... Uh, material that is in like cephalopod beaks so like squid beaks or octopi they have like a little beaky thing underneath all the squishy squishy stuff oh that's cool yeah and then another thing that characterizes a true crab is a pair of claws which we all know and love so define so yeah and it's yeah it's interesting because there's a lot of like throwing around like what is true this what is true that but it's it's because people who are in evolution and systematics are very anal about like, this is how the tree is built. This mm -hmm. belongs in this branch and you can't call something in another branch that because that's not. Not what it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so what are, what are true crabs then? 
Yeah, so true crabs are a decapod crustacean from the infraorder Brachyura. So infraorder is just like a sub. So the classification of life is kingdom phylum class order family genus species and order family in between those two that's an infraorder so it's kind of like a sub subdivision of that group but it's an arthropod essentially um yeah with that tail the thick exoskeleton and the pair of claws that's what's defined as that as a true crab i've read somewhere that the king crab isn't actually a true crab Is that's that correct? right that's correct it's part of the anomura infraorder um, and yeah, you, you had asked before about like, how long have they been around? And I was just digging. And yeah, uh, yeah king crabs have been around since the late Cenozoic, which is about 33.9 million years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. But true crabs, the Brachyura in question, have been around since early Jurassic, which is 201.3 million years ago. Long were, time. Dinos were dinosaurs around then? Yeah, the dinosaurs were kind of... Uh, yeah, in that middle ground, they were around in the Jurassic. I'm just gonna have to check again here. So, um, would, so yeah. would that kind of make them almost like dinosaurs then? You know, uh, I don't really know what would classify like a dinosaur versus non-dinosaur. Um, oh. I know that's a broad term, maybe, I don't know. No, it's okay, that's, um, those are great questions. I love, I love talking about this stuff. Um, so first of all, to kind of talk about when they were around, they oh, were sure. in, um, Dinosaurs were around in the Mesozoic era, which is between 245 and 66 million years ago. So they were around for a while. Okay. But the latest, like the last dinosaur was 66 million years ago. Okay. And you said when was the first crab? The first crab was in early Jurassic, 201 million years ago. Okay. So there was some overlap between crab and dinosaur. Yeah. They saw each other. They said <laughs> hi. They're friends. Um, Probably. So I don't know. Maybe actually. A lot of dinosaurs had like... Um, there's different types of body forms of dinosaurs and I, and uh, different mouth apparatus to like crunch through those apparatuses, apparatus, I don't know, to crunch through those uh, shells, get that juicy inside. Okay, yeah, so dinosaurs could have been like, hey, babe, you want to go for a nice meal? And they went to the pond and ate some crabs. Yeah. Oh, okay. Or the ocean, yeah. Or the ocean or whatever. No, yeah, I guess exactly. not the pond. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if everything kind of things evolve into crab does that mean that the crabs back then looked almost nothing like they do now that's an interesting question and uh a lot of what i was reading was that like there are still ancient forms of that crab and the problem with carcinization is that with to have everything form into crabs we have to all agree on what is a crab and you cannot evolve forwards or backwards well a lot of the papers are talking about how you can't like be a partial crab it's an all or one event so it's not a linear step of like this then becomes this which then becomes this into okay. a crab and yeah there are some early fossil crabs that do still look like crabs that we have today i'm just gonna pull up a little fossil here yeah crab fossils day from the early jurassic and yeah, you're right. It lacks several key morphological features that define modern crabs. So morphology, whenever you see that word, that just means like body shape, body form. And back in the day, a lot of classification of beings were by body form because not a lot of people, the science wasn't quite there yet to like look at physiology and look at genetics. Like genetics is a pretty recent field. It's uh, in the 20th century that it kind of 
we got on the same page as, as biologists and geneticists to analyze genetic data and then coming up with um, integrating genetics with morphology, with paleontology, which is kind of morphology that goes hand in hand. That's how you kind of build that new evolutionary tree. Did so I answer what, your question? <laughs> I, yeah. Um, so what would, what classifies a crab then? What defines a crab is their body shape and that true crab. Yeah. So it looks like a lot of, you know, other than genetics and phylogeny, you know, the, where it's placed in the evolutionary tree, the way that we define that are through those morphological characteristics. So that the little projecting tail, that hard exoskeleton and the claws. Oh, cool. Which is different in shape, like what you think, oh yeah, well, a lobster has a tail, a lobster has claws, a lobster has a hard shell, but it's, their body form is completely different. It's long and uh, less kind of in tune to like be on the bottom of, of the sea floor, kind of scavenging for things. It's more of a swimming kind of shape. Oh, okay, cool. So how do, how does carcinization happen? Like what causes it? Yeah, in the paper that I was reading, because usually what, what, why I'm interested in this topic is because it's a great example of convergent evolution. And convergent evolution essentially means that there is a process where organisms who are completely unrelated can evolve similar traits completely independently. And oh, this is okay. just because they adapt to their similar, they have in similar environments, they have similar ecological niches that make, make it so that like that form, that particular form is beneficial to them for survival. So oh, it's okay. a lot about like, yeah, if, so even though these crabs are not related because some of them are true crabs, some of them are not true crabs, they are um, evolving similarly. And it, I think what a lot of people are thinking with this meme going around is that like, oh, this is the ideal body form. Eventually everything is going to be a crab. But like the evolutionary process to get to that place is so much more complex than just that. Like if I can't just think to myself, oh, I want to be a crab and then become a crab because <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a hard exoskeleton. They have completely different cardiovascular uh, system, respiratory system. I can't breathe underwater or filter feed or anything like that, or eat those Dang. underwater things like brine and shrimp and, you know? Dang, there uh, goes my hopes of becoming a crab. Oh, sorry, man. Oh. Sorry. Cool. Oh, that's okay. I, so, so could like something like a shrimp eventually become a crab? That's what, yeah, in the main paper that I was reading, he was talking a lot about, or this person, I'm not sure what their gender is, but we're talking a lot about how it's common for like shrimpy like things let's just call them shrimpy like things to that are included in in those other groups that have shown carcinization 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 there we go yeah i was having um, trouble pronouncing that word so. i know <laughs> yeah it's hard that you can kind of go from uh, a shrimp like animal and become a crab like animal and it all comes down to like the time over time um, the thinning of the thorax and the kind of going from an elongated shape to a shortened shape. And yeah, that's, that's what they've been finding is that the, the species that it happens in are, have been longer, like shrimpy shapes, which is pretty cool. Um, also this paper that I can send to you and uh, you can link it in this episode if you'd like, cool. um, talks about uh, that there's some examples of going backwards. So from a crab shaped form to like a shrimpy shaped form. 
and he calls it or they call it um, decarcinization. So it's very cool. So what would cause that? Usually um, in a very general sense, just to kind of put it plainly, it's all about just dif different ecological or evolutionary pressures. So when I talk about the ecological pressures, I'm talking about predator-prey relationships. Maybe there is a certain um, shift in a predator population that got an organism to say, okay, we can't live here anymore. We have to shift where we live. So instead of living out in the, maybe um, out in the open water where they would have like room to kind of uh, wave their tail and swim better, they switch to living kind of on the ocean floor. So they get flatter so that they can hide, hide better or just completely oh, okay. have okay, access to sense. different food stores. Yeah. So it could be that, but that is also linked to a lot of other activities. So it could just be an environmental shift. Maybe the water temperature is completely too warm and then that population has to move somewhere cooler. And some will, the beauty of evolution is that some of those um, organisms will completely die off, but there's oh. some that are still going to survive. And those will be adapted to work in their environment, in their new environment. And we just see certain traits pop up. It's hard to explain it without, because um, a lot of people, when they think evolution, they think, oh yeah, I just want to get an apple on the highest tree branch. So I'm just going to stretch real hard and I'm going to get a longer arm. Right. But that's not how it works. <laughs> it's like, if your only means of survival was when you were, if you were like a, like a giraffe born in a little, a bunch of, I don't know what the group name for giraffes is. I'm sorry. We should look that up. Um, if you were born in a group of giraffes and in an environment in particular where there was really high up branches and a lot of your siblings had really short necks, but you happened to be born with a long neck just because of how genetics were mixed and dealt you the cards that you were dealt, then you could reach that apple. You could have that extra nutrition. And maybe in a drought, all your other siblings would completely die because they can't reach the higher food. So who gets left alive to pass on their genes? It's the giraffe with the longer neck. Oh, okay. That's a better way of looking at it than just like, I'm going to grow my neck and my children will grow their necks because I grew my neck. That's not right. how it works. So then that would be the case for uh, crabs as well then, right? Strongest survive kind of thing, quote unquote, yeah. strongest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Evolution is cool because it's it's all about, it's just a level playing field. Everybody's just trying to do their best to survive. Just like life. Am I right? So what, okay. So I'm going to use that giraffe as an example. So let's say mom and dad giraffe have kind of like normal-ish length necks, but then they had a kid that had a long neck. What would cause the first instance of a long neck? Would it be like a mutation type thing or what? Yeah, absolutely. Great question. It could be a mutation or it could just have been that one of those parents is a carrier of a short, of a long neck gene that happened to be recessive okay. instead of dominant. So it mixed uh, just the way that the, the sperm and the egg met in, in, the, in the old uh, reproduction tomb. Um, not a tomb, it's a uterus. Just <laughs> um, oh boy, here I am. Um, That's all good. In the giraffe vagina. Um, then what happened is just like by chance, those two parents were recessive, combined their two recessive genes that, and we're talking about a gene that codes for an allele that's just responsible for neck length, let's say. So it, it dictates how long that neck is going to be. And it just so happens that 
two parents were carriers of that gene that provided a long neck. However, you can also have a case where it depends on the gene. So if the gene is, you know, dominant recessive, that's easy. It's, it's two recessive alleles coming together. Sometimes what you get, um, in my genetics class, we talk a lot in plant uh, populations because it's easy to just cross plants and see a whole bunch of, of results from that. But you can have like um, co-dominant traits or, um, ooh, what's it called? Let me just get the, get the jargon here so that I don't mislead you. But essentially, while I'm looking for this, it's essentially like a combination of genes can somehow result in a new gene coming up. So it's like, oh, we didn't know that gene that big A and little a, if A is for, if A is the gene and the allele for, for neck length, we didn't know that combining them would result in a, in adding them. So maybe they both add their power and become, a, and that gene is now interacts at the molecular level to produce a longer neck instead of canceling each other out or the dominant one taking over. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Like there's incomplete dominance or yeah, we might have like, so there's the yeah, co-dominance, which I mentioned, which like you have two alleles, neither can uh, give you a phenotype or like the appearance or whatever trait it is on its own. You don't see a blend between the two, but you see both at the same time. So maybe it's like those genes somehow, this is um, maybe not ideal for this giraffe neck example, but um, in flowers, you would get like a purple flower breeding with a white flower and then or a red, red flower and a white flower, and then um, mixing them together gives a pink flower when you have one of each allele. Oh, instead okay. of Instead of pink being dominant, so you'd only get pink flowers, for instance. Okay. Sorry if this is a tangent, I'm just... No, that's good. Tangents are good. <laughs> Great. What other questions do you have for me? I, I hope I've been answering and been making coherent responses. I some... So for carcinization, is, would it only be like crustacean type animals? Yes, that's correct. So it has, it's specifically referring to that process of just taking up that same body shape, that body form, and you have to have like this, you have to be an arthropod or a crustacean basically, yeah. You can't just from a bird turn into a crab or from a Stephen into a crab, you know? Ah, it dang. just doesn't happen, yeah. Um, what would fall into the classification of a crustacean? Yeah, let's get into this. So maxillopoda, which are barnacles, copepods. copepods. What are copepods? Yeah, copepods are um, like small planktonic, like plankton, basically, small crustaceans found in freshwater and saltwater. Oh boy, they include, oh gosh, <laughs> they include like fish lice, they include barnacles, fish lice, what's that? Uh, yeah, just a parasitic crustacean. Um, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, that's a crustacean too. It also includes, um, oh yeah, so our friendly branchiopoda, which is a shrimp, fairy shrimp, clam shrimp, different kind of, uh, oh yeah, some extinct species. Cladocera, which is water fleas. There's um, tadpole shrimp, shri uh, shield shrimp. So you can kind of get the sense of a lot of shrimp are in branchiopoda. There's a... Uh, yeah, horseshoe shrimps, which is outside of branchiopoda, but still a shrimp. So there's another incidence there of calling something a shrimp. There's a lot of issues in biology of just like, there's like citizen science, which calls something one thing, and it's not really that thing. So we see a shrimp, we think, oh yeah, that belongs to a special group called all shrimps or a special group called all, all crabs, but it's not the case hmm. in a lot of the, a lot of the things. 
or in a lot of the cases. Um, Malacus strachea, which is the king crab, um, mantis shrimp, crayfish, yeah, crabs, lobsters, woodlice, all kinds of things. Then, yeah, you have like, yeah, there's remipedia, which is like blind crustaceans in coastal uh, waters, usually with like saltwater populations. It's lots of, lots of, but yeah, like the, the classification are, uh, let's see what officially is. It's interesting because some crustaceans seem to be more closely related to insects than they are to other crustaceans. So like when we look at a branch of a tree or the phylogenetic tree, it's specifically drawn kind of to show how time progresses between right. each of these species. So like when something diverges on the node of a, of a branch of a big family tree, we can call it, um, right. the more space there is, it's like these guys evolved away this many million years ago. Whereas these two people, these two people, these two crustaceans are way closer together on that branch. So that means that maybe they're just uh, 10,000 years apart, you know, or maybe even more recently. There's some species that evolve even faster, like um, bacteria, viruses, constantly evolving, which is a hot topic today we could so, talk about. So when you say like the 10,000 years mm -hmm. apart, what does that mean? Like one existed 10,000 years ago, or is it that that's how long it took for it to evolve kind of thing. Like, I don't that one, so it's like, it's talking mostly about common ancestors. So okay. where a tree branches, that means that up till that point, they were pretty much similar or the same, where they shared like ancestors that were the same, but maybe one species, um, uh, there's many different ways of speciation, but here's like a very, a, a digestible example of speciation, which can be, maybe it's a, let's talk about a group of fish. So maybe they all live in a lake, they're all related to each other, but then one day a tree falls in the middle of that lake and it completely blocks off half the lake and there's no way to get under it or over it. Huge tree, uh, mud everywhere. Paint you a picture. Italy, 1972. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, and what happens then? They can't go over that tree. So they kind of are now two populations of fish and they breed with each other and they're still kind of related, but maybe one side of that lake was where like uh, these certain types of shrimp were living and they're really tasty and they are easy to get to, but maybe on the other side of the pond or the lake, there's, a, there's no shrimp whatsoever. So they have to adapt to like eating only certain algae that's available there. So oh, the okay. fish on the either side would then adapt different things to procure that food. So. Um, you would see just uh, traits maybe disappear. So maybe instead of having teeth, they kind of um, just have less less prominent, sharp teeth over over years. And this is just talking about like this can happen over years and years and years and years, or it can happen oh, okay. in days. It all depends on how the organism reproduces, how long they live, and how long uh, not just reproduces, but how long it takes them to carry a child or a child like a their um their spawn what's another word offspring <laughs> <laughs> how long it takes for them to like have offspring so oh, if, okay. you're, if you're an elephant you carry your baby for a long long time versus uh, a bacteria which can just clone itself or separate itself into two bacteria and then there you go Does that um, answer your question yeah elephants yeah. also are pregnant for two years just so that you know 22 months wowza Wow, that's Time. crazy. Long pregnancy. So yeah, something like that. It's like, that's why we're seeing 
or why we should be more worried about some of the larger species like or you know some species that have a very long gestation period or pregnancy period because it's like if you're killing off a large part of the species it's hard for them to find a mate but then if they do find a mate and they're living in unfavorable conditions maybe their forests are being plowed down to make room for farms or to make room for build whatever it may be how long is it going to take for that elephant to reproduce pass on its genes so that it can survive and not just go extinct so right. it's all kind of interconnected so going back to the carcinization so mm. if i took like and this also kind of ties into evolution too so let's say i was able to take some crabs and isolate them in like a tank type scenario like let's say you know a large tank whatever is required and gave them enough water and food and love and all that and put them in a situation where the uh, the conditions don't change at all would they still evolve or would they just kind of like stagnate in the evolution process they probably would stagnate for a little bit because evolution is heavily linked to pressures in your environment so if you're constantly providing them with enough food, with um, very little predator interaction, then they have nothing to worry about. Why change a good thing, you know? And that could be for like everything too, right? Anything. Humans, yeah, exactly. Cats. Exactly. And that's, yeah, it's like, I don't know a lot about human evolution. I'm not, I did not study anthropology at all, but there's a, like, we're special cases because we have been able to crack the code of like, what's making us die, let's fix that instead of in the right. wild where it's like, what's making me die? Damn it, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So, okay. Whereas, yeah, there, there's been stuff just in, in history of uh, like, I remember in my one of my first one away, uh, biology classes, we were talking about how baby heads were getting big, like human baby, babies are staying in longer or they're getting bigger and bigger, which like in the wild would kill women to try to like give birth to these humongous babies just because there's different like access to different um nutrition or um just environment that allows the babies to like grow really well and really healthy but the like c-sections have helped kind of circumvent that so it's like great now we can just give birth to, to babies all we want but yeah like there's other things like why do we still have wisdom teeth why do we still have an appendix and the science is still kind of ongoing yeah, of why we still do have those things. But also, you have to keep in mind that uh, evolution sometimes happens over many, many years. So we won't see people born without wisdom teeth consistently for a long time. And that those genes still exist. Maybe they're just turned off. They don't just get deleted. So maybe they just randomly pop up because that's genetics. It's just random. So what would turn the gene off, right? Because like, yeah, wisdom teeth don't really have a purpose anymore. But mm -hmm. what would cause them us to not be born with them anymore my gut reaction with that is that well it's always about genetic interactions so maybe the gene for them gets turned off but why that that triggers that could be a number of things it could be maybe a tendency to infection in wisdom teeth that like kills off a lot of the a lot of the people that are born with wisdom teeth and if you're prone to a certain bacterial uh, disease or a certain like tendency to get infections in there like maybe that means that your gene turns off because well no because you've already grown in the, the wisdom teeth but like your 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 offspring will be less likely to have those genes let me summarize my answer some some sort of like pressure event would cause a change in phenotype 
but it's okay. all based on the genes. And when I say phenotype, I'm, I mean everything that we see on the outside, skin color, hair color, um, height, that's all phenotype. Teeth, presence of teeth. And I'm assuming that would be for animals too, plants. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, yeah, I, I, I think a lot in terms of animals and plants, just because that's like my happy place and like where I know best. But it's like, yeah, if a flower is producing a beautiful bright color, it attracts bees to pollinate them. The bee will come and, and pollinate and it, the flower is happy because that means its, its seeds are being dispersed by the bees, by a vector, which is great. But what if that flower also tastes super sweet to some sort of herbivore so it just keeps getting eaten and eaten so then what will what you'll see in in uh, subsequent generations is like maybe subdued color maybe no color at all just to try to like adapt to try to adapt it's that you'd see those genes kind of get less and less salient would that just be because the ones with less color are surviving or would it be that's right oh, okay yeah that's cool yeah, it's pretty cool. I like it. I'm just looking up wisdom teeth now because like I'm curious and they just wanted me. Yeah, because wisdom teeth too can be associated with a lot of problems, right? So they just don't fit in our mouths anymore. And like when a person, you're done growing by the time you're 18, but then usually your wisdom teeth come in later, 19, like when you're 19 or in your 20s. So they're being put in a place that's already like, no, I'm maximizing my growth enough, right. um, which then causes like crooked teeth, which could be crowded teeth and cause in like jaw pain or cysts of, you know, places that you can't really get to or headaches just from pressure of, of jaw pain. And also it's saying like increased tooth decay. So all these, like I, as an evolutionary biologist degree holder, feel like um we're going to be seeing less and less wisdom teeth and i you know i'm sure you know somebody who hasn't been born with all four in fact you're interviewing one right now but yes yes no i i know people who've not been born with all four so yeah so it's like those that in itself all the problems associated it with it when you were asking before i just want to clarify this because i feel like i was really rambly in the other answer i gave but um pressures include things like just chronic pain crooked teeth which cause chronic pain jaw pain tooth decay anything that's not favorable or advantageous it's like why why are we wasting energy growing this in our bodies so the gene would then be like you know what i'm just going to inhibit or any genes and interactions that go on because genetics are also very complicated it's not just like a car starter where you just like beep beep and the gene is off but genes in the area will act to probably ixnay that gene like so i said might not disappear but might still be around and then in your kids you wouldn't pass on that gene so you would see less and less so because i've had mine removed me too so if you for the people like us who've had ours removed mm. would the genes or like with the body and the be like ah that was a dumb idea or would it be because we had them removed we're not having those headaches and jaw pain and stuff like that would the body just kind of forget about it and still pass along the gene think, um, say that again sir last does part a, does a question make sense kind of like yeah it totally makes sense yeah it's like it's hard to say because it's not like your body is deciding what to pass on but because it's a so it would be associated with like evolutionary theory just answering from that point of view if it's not helpful it will not likely be, or not advantageous, it will not be passed on. So that gene will still probably be there, but it would just be inhibited, most likely. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That's it's hard to, to remove a gene. 
Um, how does a gene become inhibited? Could it be T? I'll just give a basic question. There's a lot of um, enzymes working. There's a lot of proteins working around in cells in the body. There's a lot of interactions that goes on uh, that go on. So the presence of a chemical associated with a certain behavior or response can then alert a protein just to activate or inactivate some sort of messenger, which would pass on the information to turn on a gene or turn off a gene. It's it's quite complex, but there's there's a system in place. And that system is some is usually um, detected by some sort of sim signal within the body. There usually chemical concentrations go up or go down and then your your body responds to it. So it's very similar with genes. It's just like I don't need to be uh, making this thing anymore. So the genes in the area, the proteins in the area would, some of them work like a clamp, just like kind of clamp it off and on, or some of them are just like a simple DNA uh, strand is just like added onto to it to just like, or a methyl group or, or um, some sort of chemical that's, that's kind of added like a flagpole. And it's like, okay, I don't need to be replicated or I don't, this part doesn't need to be replicated anymore. Oh, okay, it's a cool. simple answer. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much. What a treat. What a dream. Good cool. to see you. We'll chat later. Good to see you. Bye. Well, that's it. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a good day.